Well, good morning. It's really good to have you here as we uh, begin our series on the book of John. This is a big launch weekend. We're launching a, a new curriculum for our children, and they're getting in with their trail guide who's going to be with them throughout their whole experience, and and we're doing that. We're launching Finding Hope this week, which is a recovery ministry, and uh, that starts on Tuesday night. And we're, we've launched over the course of this week our new series in John, which is a discipleship plan for our whole congregation. And this covers pretty much all of our lives, our, our time with the Lord alone, our time in our small groups, and then our time in these types of environments, in our large group gatherings, our worship services, for you to really get to know the Word of God and to apply the Word of God to our lives. We want to be a church that's constantly calling and challenging our congregation to take that next step with the Lord and to grow with Him. We do not want to play church. We're not, not about just gathering and watching things happen. We're, we're about actually being who we're called to be, to be followers of Jesus Christ. And the book of John really starts out with that call for, for us to be introduced to Christ. And we believe that as we do this, you, you get two things happening. You get alignment and you get momentum. Alignment means we're all focused on doing the same thing. And in a lot of different environments, we're all doing this. And so we're all looking at the book of John in our time with the Lord, in our small groups, and in this environment. But then... We're also, we're doing this together. We're not all just scattered. And we're looking at the same passage and we're asking, God, what would you have me be as a result of this? How can I follow you more? And we're asking the same questions with the passage. And what happens when we all do that? We get alignment and we get momentum together. You get transformation. Because then we're able to articulate what God is doing in our lives. And some of us are growing and, and we start sharing that. We start articulating our faith together and we start being these people who God calls us to be. And, and I just see it could be incredibly powerful. So I just want to encourage you. If you're here for the first time, come on, get engaged. If you're here and you've been, you know, on the sidelines, get engaged in this because now's the time. Now's the time. I, I can't think of a better time in the history of our church to seek Christ because you will find him in the word. Now's the best time to discover Christ. And when you discover him, to believe in Christ and then to learn about Christ and to live for Christ and then even to live and lead others to Christ. We want to be that kind of place that's constantly calling you wherever you're at. So it's my desire if you're here and you, you've heard about Christ and you've heard about religion, but you really don't know about a relationship with Christ, what that's all about. It's my hope that as we go through the book of John, you would know Christ. And you would trust in Christ. You'd believe in him. If you're here and you've just met Christ, it would be my desire that you would take those next steps of learning more about Christ and growing in Christ and then having life in his name and living for Christ. If you've here, been here and you've come and you've been in church your whole lives, um, but you haven't been investing in other people, it's pretty much been what you can consume I would want you to start thinking about others around you and how you can take the truth of God and and talk with them about it and disciple people around you. I mean, I'm here because someone took the time to disciple me, to spend time in God's word and to process my life against the word of God. And it's amazing. 
if you are here and you've just received, start giving. It's, it's the time for you to give your life away to others uh, that others might grow and you would grow as, as well in your walk with Christ. And I believe everyone's here for a reason. Everyone is here for a reason. God has brought you to this place today to learn more about him, to grow in him and to follow him with all our hearts. So I don't believe God's made any mistake. Even if you're here and someone brought you here and you're here, kind of like, okay, I'll just go because you're here. I believe God's brought you to this place to hear about him today. And he wants you to grow. So let's do that. Let's begin. Let's open in the book of John. It's in the New Testament, fourth book in. John chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read through verse 14. I'll pause kind of right after verse 4 and we'll talk and then we'll continue on. Let's take a look at it. John chapter 1, verse 1. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have them in the back in those little tables there. Make sure you go and get one if you don't have one. You can get up right now and get one. I understand if you didn't bring one. but And if you don't have one at home, keep this one. If you do have one at home, leave this one. So someone who doesn't have one will have one, okay? But it's our gift to you. We want you to have this if you don't have one. John chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Let's just stop there there for a second. Because the other gospels um, like Matthew, Mark and Luke, those there's four there's four depictions of the life of Christ in, in the New Testament. Matthew, the first gospel, starts out and he addresses a Jewish audience. So he starts with a man that all the Jews knew, and it was Abraham. Abraham, God promised that he would bless and he would make a great nation out of them. And all the nations on earth would be blessed through him. Abraham was the one that God promised that Abraham, look up in the stars in the skies. As, as you, if you can count them, so will your descendants be. And Abraham and all the children of Abraham, the Jews, looked forward to a time when that really would come forth, when the Messiah would come from the line of Abraham and he would restore and would make that nation great and would be the kingdom of God on earth. So Matthew brings out and he starts out with the genealogy of connecting Jesus through his ancestors all the way back to Abraham. Mark starts out with prophecy. It starts out with the book of Isaiah. And it talks about Jesus and jumps right into Jesus's ministry. We jump right in real quickly in Mark chapter one. We don't know how he got there. We just know this is who Jesus was. And the whole focus on the book of Mark is that we would follow this Jesus. Look at these people who followed Jesus. Now, church, you follow him. In Luke, we get a tracing with, with detail all the way back to Adam. He goes further than Abraham and goes all the way back to Adam and shows us how we're linked to the first Adam and the second Adam being Jesus who recreates life for us. And you see the, the details of Jesus's life. Luke was a physician. They know, they know facts and figures. So we get the birth of Jesus and the details relating to the birth of Jesus. But John is interesting. John starts out as far back as we can imagine in the beginning, doesn't he? He goes, in the beginning was the word. John goes as far back as we can imagine to the beginning and it's the opening statement. It's an, and it's a statement that specifically says, Jesus, is God. In the beginning was the Word. 
Well, let's keep reading. Verse 5, it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from, from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Let's pick this apart because there's a ton of stuff here as John introduces us to Jesus. The first thing that we see and the first thing I want you to remember is that in Christ, John is saying that when you're in Christ, you are reconnected to our creator. And he does it with giving a name for Jesus called the word, the word. When you read John 1, 1 and you hear the, the phrase in the beginning, if you know a little bit about the Bible, where does that come from in the beginning? Well, actually, he's traced back to the first chapter, the first verse of the first book of the Bible, and it's the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, flip over to that. It's the easiest book to find because it's the first one in Genesis 1, 1. We get this, we get this phrase. It starts the whole Bible, the revelation about who God is. And, and it, it starts it with us. And it says this. In the beginning, God. Before anything was, God was there. He has no beginning, no end. As the, as the Greeks called it, he is the alpha or the A in their alphabet. And the omega, the Z in their alphabet. He's the beginning and he's the end. He's always been. He was never created. He's always been. And scriptures say in the beginning, God, and it says created the heavens and the earth. Keep reading. It says the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, in other words, a word came out of God's mouth. He said, let there be light. And what does it say? And there was light. So you have this existence that's formless and void and darkness. And God's word speaks into this environment. And from nothing, something happens. That's totally unlike us. We have to have something to make something. We call them in business raw materials. We need those things in order to craft something else. And we can be incredibly and wonderfully creative as we do this, but we have to have something to make something. God didn't. In the beginning, God, and he spoke from nothing became something. We're, what this whole picture is, is by connecting these two phrases from Genesis 1-1 to John 1-1, We're going to be called and reconnected back into that big story, into that big story where where it starts in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Booms it right back to is Christ is reconnecting us to our creator. He's 
This creator who crafted and when he spoke, things became. He spoke things into existence. And those things were good, as he called it, very good. And it was an existence that when we, on the sixth day, were created, we were crafted in the image of God to reflect him in all of life. And that's exactly what we did through Adam and Eve. We lived a great life with God. We related with him. We loved him. He loved us. We loved each other. Adam and Eve loved each other. But also into that perfect environment, God said, you can choose. You can choose to love me and worship me or you can choose to walk away. And he put a tree right in the middle of the garden to show them that worship would never be compulsory. It would always be an act of the will. They had a choice every day. Follow me or walk away from me. And one day they walked away. They had no idea. It's like us in sin. We have no idea the cost or the consequences of sin until you do it sometimes. And they fell. And as a result of them falling, they became estranged to God. They became estranged to each other. What was beautiful now became an area of shame and guilt. But God, through his stubborn love, continued to love them and call them back to them. And he started with a group of people called the Israelites, who their father was Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and then Moses led them, and then Joshua led them, and the kings led them, and then the prophets led them, and it came up to the point where Jesus would show up on the scene, and Jesus would reconnect them back. It's through everything that Jesus would do for them that he would reconnect them back. Through Jesus, we're part of the big story. For With Jesus, we're not on our own pursuing our own little dreams, our own little fantasies, our own little small ideas. We're, co- we're connected back into the big story of God. This is what Jesus does. And, and, and the picture of him is the word. Just like in, in John 1, or excuse me, Genesis 1, where nothing became something because of the word of God. Jesus wants to recreate in us from nothing to something in a relationship with him. And the whole rhetorical question of the creation story in Genesis chapter 1 is, if nothing will become something at the word of God, what will be your life? That's a rhetorical question. How do you respond to the word of God? And you'll see the word of God, that phrase, just move throughout the Old Testament. And the word of the Lord came to Abraham. And the word of the Lord came to this prophet. And, and the picture is when God speaks, when he reveals himself to us, what is our response? And the, the answer should be, I'm listening. I'm here. So the life that connects to God is listening for him is listening for his word. And then it says in verse 14, it's kind of bookended on this passage because it talks about in the beginning was the word and then it moves in verse 14 and the word became flesh. It became flesh and it dwelled among us. The, the word dwell in the, in the Greek is actually an Old Testament word that's called he tabernacled with us. He set up shop with us. He lived with us. He became, as, as uh, the prophet said, God with us, Emmanuel. He didn't stay distant. He got involved. He became personal and, and, and uh, in, the, in, in the flesh and personally lived 
in our junk, in our garbage with us. What do you do when you see poverty? Do you speed up the car? Do you lock the doors because you're afraid? What do you do when you walk through a house that's in shambles and you know people are living there? I walked through there in Dominican Republic when we uh, served Trash Mountain community there. And we walked through and we saw mud and it had just rained. And we knew these families had to deal with a literal stream that came through their home every time it rained. And I looked and I saw what four kids were sleeping on. And it was a piece of foam and it had flies and it had mud and it had dirty sheets on it. And I would just go, whoa, I would, there was something. I had to fight it. It was this angle of, boy, am I glad I'm in a hotel tonight. Because I wanted to distance myself from that pain, from that poverty. And we've got to go to those places sometimes till we can really see what happened with Jesus. Because he had the praise and the perfection of heaven. And the word became flesh. And he took on our skin. And he came and he lived in our garbage. And instead of being accepted and praised, he was ridiculed and rejected and spit upon and hung on a tree. A cross. And died. That's, that's who we're reconnected with. This God who became personal. The word became flesh and he identified with human existence. He's to see it and to associate with it. And that's why when we connect to Jesus, we identify with God. When we connect with Jesus, we're affirmed that he knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. He associates with our pain and our suffering and our loss. When we connect to Jesus, we also connect to salvation. It's he's the one who recreates life in us. So that when we trust in him, he says, let there be life again on this dead soul. He's continuing to recreate in us. In Christ, we're reconnected to our uh, creator. Secondly, in Christ, we're redeemed out of darkness. And look at verse 4. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. And then it's kind, kind of just, um, just talking about how John the Baptist came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe in him, through him. He, he said... And then it goes, the, the true light, verse, verse 9 says, which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. And what, what it's saying is that it, when we look at light, the true light which gives light to everyone, and he says, and darkness has not overcome it. Light means understanding. We still use that term today. It's like um, you're, you're, you don't know about something and you're explaining how you didn't know about it, but then you found out in that moment of discovery. What do you say? Oh, the light came on and I just realized what happened. We use that phrase. Or when you don't know something, but you know someone else might know it. You go, hey, can you, can you come just shed some light on this topic? In other words, give me understanding. So Jesus is that. When Jesus showed up on the scene and he was that light... That he be, he was that light. He was the understanding. We can understand God by knowing Jesus. In him was that light. And it, it was, um, the whole picture, the whole picture in contrast to a dark world. 
and dark. He talks about the battle. We're, we're introduced to the battle in John 1, 1 between good and evil, right and wrong, God and Satan, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And when Jesus showed up, the darkness could not overcome him. Where you have the light of the gospel in the Old Testament, it looks like a candle. And you, you have a nation coming and destroying Israel. Or you have a prophet being killed because he bared the, the, bore the, the word of God. And you get, you get the blow snuffing out of the light. When Jesus showed up, the darkness could not overcome it. And when we connect with Jesus, we're redeemed out of darkness. Our lives have understanding. Our lives, what happens just in physical darkness when the light comes on? You start to realize what's in this room. When you walk through a home, whether through a thunderstorm or something that's knocked out your electricity, and you don't have light, and you don't know what's going on there, what happens? Your heart rate goes up because your fear factor increases. And you wonder what's there. And you start to fear. And the light goes on. And what do you do? You relax. You relax because you see it. You see it for what, what it really is. I remember my parents took me to Disney World when I was 10 years old. And it was the, the time when, you know, Space Mountain was, was invented. Now it's an, a dingy old ride there, okay? But, but then it was new. And I got to go and we waited in line for two and a half hours. I wanted to go to Space Mountain. And I remember I got three people from the front and the ride broke. I was so ticked and it was the great loss of my life at 10 years old. And guess what they did? They turned on the lights and then you look up and you saw Space Mountain and it wasn't really Space Mountain anymore. It was a roller coaster in the dark and you looked and you go, this is all it is. And I remember going, I could do this at a at a carnival in, in my, in Milwaukee. Why did I have to travel to Florida to see this? Well, the thing is, is it's in the dark. And in the dark, you don't know. So the thrill factor goes up because you can turn and, you know, do a life-changing wrench of your neck. Because you can't anticipate it. But your fear factor goes up in the dark. When the light comes on, wow, I know what to expect. My life changes. When the light of the gospel comes into our lives, we're out of fear. We're out of that. We're shown who God is through Christ. And it's only in Christ that we're redeemed out of the darkness. John uses light. And Jesus will use it even later when he says, I am the light of the world. In Christ, we're also received into a relationship. Look at John 1.12. It says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Earlier, it says in John 1, 4, in him was life. Jesus is that life. And it's because of his life that we're received into a relationship with God. It says all things. John 1, 1 traces everything back to the source of life, Jesus Christ. And it connects us to in him was life. And it says all things were made through him. Paul writes in Colossians 1, 9, he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We have the right to become 
children of God, not just friends of God, not associates of God, not partners with God, children of God. He were owned into the family of God because of the life of Jesus. Received, received into this family of God through and only through Christ. It would not be in the world at that time. They thought it was all about your intelligence. They thought it was all about your status in the society. Thought all about your race or your age. But here, all of this is just shattered and cleared. And the ground is made level through Christ. Because it's only if, if you've received him. And you can try to live a life that tries to impress God and says, okay, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than so-and-so. And I'm better than these people. And we can make a religion around kind of a superior breed of people. But that is not biblical. And that's not Jesus. The gospel says we're all out. None of us can live a perfect life. We can live better than each other and we can compare each other, but Jesus never compares you with your neighbor. He compares you with the perfection of who God is. And some of us can be better than others, but we are never better than Jesus. That's why we all need his life. I must have him. No matter how much I make, no matter the position I have, no matter how you know profound I can be, we all need Jesus. He's the life. And, and we must receive his life. We can't earn it and we don't deserve it. Some of us came from backgrounds where we always thought, man, I messed up. I got to go and I got to say I'm sorry. And, and I would go, you know, God is good. I am bad. Be good. And we live a performance-based religion. Jesus Christ is a grace-based relationship. It's not what you and I do. It's what he's already done for us. It's not what we earn. It's the gift that we receive from him. We'll never be good enough. We're only insult him when we try to impress him like that. We have to receive his life. And when we receive in him, what does that look like? What does that look like? Look at verse uh, 12 again. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When you receive him, what are you doing? You believe. You believe. In Christ, we respond to reality. That's what it's saying. We respond. How do you receive him? You believe. That's what John, and you're going to see believe over and over in this book. Because as you believe, you receive that life. You receive that forgiveness. You receive that understanding. You receive the acceptance of God. With unbelief, you have a lack of understanding. That's why I said he came and the world did not know him. With rejection, you get that. Because when you reject him, he said he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's really what the book of John is all about. If you turn in your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 20. It's at the, one of the last verses or last chapters of John. John chapter 20, verse 30, all the way to the end of that chapter. John says this. John 20, verse 30 says this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But, but catch this, verse 31. 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Two reasons for the book of John. That we might believe that the word, that word of God, we would believe him. That light of the gospel we might run to out of darkness. That life we might receive. That we might believe it. And secondly, once you believe it, that you would live as a Christ follower. That's what it means to, to live, have life in his name. Not only eternal life, that, that's yours when you die or Christ returns, whichever comes first. But, but that, that life right now, you would truly be someone who reflects a person of faith in Jesus Christ. Not someone who plays it, not someone who puts the tag because we live in the USA, that I'm a Christian. No, someone who's a legitimate, authentic Christian living with the name of Jesus on my life. That's why we have it. That's what a disciple is. Someone who believes and then lives. Through Christ, we can respond to reality. This is the reality of who God is. I want to um, work through an illustration with you that uh, was helpful for me, and I've kind of tweaked it. I heard this presented in a leadership summit that I attended several weeks back, and it's an illustration by... Uh, Henry Cloud on the three types of people you'll meet and I've tweaked it just for this this passage to get some understanding for us He says there's basically three types of people you you and I will meet in our lives on any given day And there's the people who and on your this is represented by circles in your notes But the first type of person you'll meet is someone who sees it and someone who gets it in other words when the light of truth shines on their lives and appears in their lives and the light of reality shows up they see it and they get it these are people who when you give them feedback they go wow thank you for that you know you're right they see reality for for what it really is and and these are people who go boy you're right i i could do better on that and they're not defensive on it because they see reality and they call it and they're teachable the book of proverbs actually outlines these three people and the book of proverbs calls this person a wise person a person who's wise because a wise person hears correction and changes a wise person adds to their understanding a wise person has an has a desire for the truth and what are you to do with people who are wise Well, if they work for you, you want to keep them and you want to keep them at all costs and you want to keep a wise person and you want to learn from and you want to listen to a wise person. If you have wise people and you meet in a relationship who's wise, you want more wise friends because your life will be sharpened by them. Your the light of reality will you'll see it in their lives and you go, wow, they handle it so humbly. They handle it so so teachable. I want to be like that. There's an attraction in you to have wise people in your lives. Don't run from them. Listen to them grow with them be sharpened by them fill your life with wise people and then there's another type of person you meet and these are people who when the light of truth come to them they don't see it and they don't get it 
These are people when you show and you, you show reality and you give them a truth statement, they try to change the truth. They try to minimize the truth. They try to, they're threatened by the truth. So it's never their fault. They, they go, if only this would happen, I would be a better person. Or it's because they play the victim and they blame all the bad things that's happened that's, that's allowing their lives to make poor decisions right now. Just being honest, because the book of Proverbs calls this person a foolish person. This is a person that tries to change reality. It's like Jack Nicholson said, you can't handle the truth. They can't. They can't. And, and what do you do when you have someone in your life who is foolish? Whether you work for them or they work for you. Well, if they work for you, you have to give them boundaries. That's why we have policy manuals. If you work in an organization and you put together a policy manual, you will know that there is a person behind every policy. Why do we have someone sign the check three times? Well, it's because Frank, 20 years ago, embezzled $20,000 from the organization. And the organization said, we'll never let that happen again. That was a foolish act. We're not going to have foolish things happen. So you put boundaries around them. Because a foolish person will only change when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. And you have to confront a fool. What Proverbs says about a fool is that the fool keeps going and is never changed and they suffer for it. A, a, a foolish person does not listen to advice. A foolish person is not, it does not change on correction. And then it says, and suddenly destruction will come upon them without remedy. And you find yourself, if you're around foolish people, you will find yourself wrapped up in consequences you never thought you'd be in. What are you to do? You're to limit the influence of a fool on your life. You and I will meet them every day, but we must limit their influence. And then the book of Proverbs talks about this other person. And this is a person who won't see it and doesn't want it. This is a hardened person. Scriptures call this person the evil person. And it's the hardened heart when the truth of reality comes upon an evil person. They don't want to minimize it or half-truth it. They want to destroy the truth. The, the evil person is out to get the truth. And will do whatever it can to destroy the truth. These are people in a business meeting you may be in or an organization meeting that if I get caught or if I go down on this, the whole organization goes down with me. They're people, they're out for blood. What are you to do with people who are evil? You're to flee. You're to flee from them. Uh, The people who connect with evil, you will find yourself being a good student. But when you surround your life and are, are influenced by the evil, you find yourself at that party in a position you never thought you'd be in, doing things you never thought you'd be doing. With getting caught... And facing consequences you'd never want to be labeled as. Now, as I looked at these three, which one do you want to be? 
I want to be over here. And I think if you would ask me, Joe, what kind of person are you? I'm, I'm really led to going, I love, I'm wise. It is me. Light of the truth comes to me. I change. I'm, I'm that person. But depending on the topic, we can be all three of these. You can, you can be a man who loves your wife and is faithful to your wife. And when the light of the truth comes in and you need to work on your relationship, you, you change and, and you love her more. You can be a man who, when the light of the truth of who you are is exposed, you go, well, you always, you never. And you go right into changing reality so that it's not your fault. And you can be so hardened in a relationship sometimes where you're really out to get the other person. An ex, an old friend, an old relationship, someone who's done harm to you. You can make a wise decision with money and you can live below your, your, your means so that you can give generously. But there's other times, well, there's times in my life where I lived on more than what I was paid and I got into debt and I leveraged debt. And I remember the foolish decisions I made with money, realizing I never wanted to be there. But when the reality of the truth came, I tried to say, oh, but this is really good. And this little gadget I need. And, and then you can live as if, it, if you don't care and you steal from others. And, and you can cheat on an expense report. Or you can um, minimize figures so that you get the promotion. Or maximize figures so you get the promotion. We can move from one of these to the next. On any given topic. Where do you want to be? See, the book of John is going to show us these people. He's going to show us as the light of the truth of the word of made flesh comes to us as the light of reality. Jesus is reality. And he shows up on the scene and we're going to meet people who are wise. We're going to meet a guy in John chapter one, who's John the Baptist, who goes, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Woomph. He's wise. So wise that when his followers go, we want to follow him now. He goes, go right ahead and follow him. That's when his followers come and say, Jesus is baptizing more than us. His numbers are growing. He's, his chart is looking like this. It's, it's going to hurt our giving. Who he goes, go right ahead. Let him become greater, me become less. That's a wise man. We're going to meet the foolish people who follow Jesus at the start because they like Jesus and what he brings to them, whether they can piggyback on a, on a, on a governmental change or a legislation that would change when they all rule it. But when Jesus really shows up and shows them who he really is, the suffering servant, they go, forget it. No, eat your blood. I mean, drink your blood, eat your flesh. Forget it. Forget it. And reality changes. They change it. Some of us can do that with Jesus. Jesus, you're in my life to make me happy, to give me success, to make me prosperous, to be a a good Jesus. And we make Jesus obey us. That's a foolish decision rather than us making him the center. And then you will meet people in the book of John who are just plain evil, who are out and plot to kill Jesus because they do not want the light They do not want the life. We will meet all three of these. Where are you? 
The Bible shows us all three. And, and as long as you have breath, you have hope. If you've made evil decisions, the Bible provides people who were evil. The Apostle Paul, out to kill Christians, people of Christ, has a conversion experience where he changes and trusts Christ. Evil becomes wise. The foolish turn from their foolishness foolishness and trust Christ. Become wise. That's the option we're given with Jesus. I want to be here. Wherever you're at, wherever you're at, would you seek Jesus? Would you surround your life with the true light of the gospel of Jesus? The life that's yours through his. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We see it and we get it. And so help us to help us to stay in the light of Christ. Help us to be people who are wise, who turn from evil and foolishness and see the light of Christ, the truth of God, the righteousness of God, the grace of God. May we be a church that shines your light. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.